Have you ever had this question asked of you? I've, I've had it thought. I've thought about this question. What if you knew? What if you knew that you had 24 hours to live? It might seem a bit depressing, but... I, I can remember thinking about this question. What if I knew that I had 24 hours to live? What would I do with the, the time that I had left? What would I do with the next day? If I knew that, that for sure... I just had today to live. I wouldn't be going to the gorilla pit. It might involve a couple of pies. I, I don't know, when I was maybe a bit younger and thinking about that, I thought of all the crazy things I have not done in life that I thought, oh, I've got this is my last chance, and then I'd go out and do it. And... You thought about that before? If you, had just, if you just knew that this was your last day, what would you do? Like, what fun could you have? Go take out a loan. Uh, um, I don't know. What, all the different things that, that I've thought about, you know, that I'd love to do if I just had one day. If I knew that I just had one day to live. I was recently conversing online with a, a friend of mine who lives in the States, and he said something to me which I'd never stop to really consider in that in this way it was about this same topic of knowing he said what would you do and we were laughing about it and then he said jesus jesus knew he had one day left to live and he washed people's feet I thought, that i'd never stopped to consider that in that way there was a sort of consistency to Jesus' life, wasn't it? That as he walked and lived this earth, there was a consistency between who he said he was, how he lived his life, the choices that he made, and the circumstances of time, whether or not that there was only one day left to live, it didn't change who he was and the core of his ministry and the core of his mission. Jesus was consistent all the way through. And, and that's what I think this passage that we've got in front of us. Thanks, Matt, for reading that out. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. We're just going to survey through it for a little bit. Really is about living a life of gospel-fueled consistency. What we say we believe, what God has done for us in Christ... Paul is addressing this Colossian church and he's saying that breeds a certain lifestyle of consistency. It, it does something to us. And so let's run through it. For those of you who are visiting today, um, I'm going to be reading from the ESV and we're partway through a series through this book of Colossians where ultimately the big message of this is it's all about Jesus. And the Christian life can become about all. He's saying, guys, don't get distracted. This is all about Jesus. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Just read the first four verses with me again to refresh your minds. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. 
seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I want you just to consider for a moment, this really sets the scene for probably all 17 verses. So let's just sort of spend a moment really trying to capture what's Paul saying here. Right from the outset, he qualifies it, of course. He's saying, if, if then you've been raised with Christ. He's speaking to people who are Christians. For those of us this morning who know Jesus, for those of us who know him in a way which is more than just a knowledge about him, but we've realized our need for him to be a rescuer, a savior. He is the hope of our eternity. And we've said, my life is nothing. I am giving my life in complete control to him. He is God. I'm repenting. I'm confessing all of the sin, all the rebellion that I've made against him. And I say, Jesus, I know that you are my hope. And without you, I have nothing. For those of us who are Christians. Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, that's you. A new life. If that's you. Then seek the things that are above. Where Christ is. If we've been raised with Christ. He's saying, well, shouldn't we think about and seek and pursue the very things that represent the very things that define where Christ is? Seated at the right hand of God, a place of authority, a a place of dominion. He is Lord of all. It is all about Jesus. That's what Paul's big theme is here. And so he says, seek the things that are above. And really, the next 17 verses are just going to unpack that. And so we could stop right now. We've got about 17 more minutes. And I've got about 17 points. So that's... No, I don't really. <laughs> Seek the things that are above. That's, that's Paul's big drive for this, all right? He's, he's wanting us, if you forget anything else, if you sort of think, oh, we saw some beautiful pictures of a baby. I heard Brooke play the flute. That was beautiful. Not sure what Chris talked about. I think it was about something... Seek the things above. You would have captured Paul's big drive for this passage. Seek the things that are above. But how? How do we do that, right? Well, he starts to tell us. You seek the things that are above this way. Verse 2. Well, It involves setting your mind on things that are above. And then he contrasts it, right? And not on things, not on things that are on earth. So straight away, we can see Paul starting to differentiate between two different ways that we can live this life as Christians, where our mind is set, where our affections are set, where our conscience is set, where our goals are set, where our intellect is set, what we read about, what we consume, how we define our world and ourselves in it. Paul says, that's where your mind is set. It is set on things which are above, but there's also a way of doing all of those things By setting your mind on things which are on earth. 
And Paul actually wants to try and contrast them and says, if you are raised with Christ and you're seeking the things where Christ is, then one of the ways that you can do that is by deciding, you know what, I need to set my mind on things which are above and not on the things which are here. Now, you can define yourself, you can define your success, you can define your hope, you can define your purpose, you can define your wealth, all by things which can be found here on earth and will pass away. You can do that. But Paul says to live a life of gospel-fueled consistency as people who have been raised with Christ, discovered a new life, Defining yourself like that is inconsistent with who you are. Instead, we set our minds on eternal things, not things that pass away. Why? Why though? Well, again, there in verse 3. For, this is Paul's reasoning for this now. For, you've died. No, I haven't. I'm here, right? No. No, if if you've been raised with Christ, you've died. You've died. Paul's able to save his own life if he reflects on it. I've been crucified with Christ. I died. Now, for those of you who might know that reference, it doesn't finish there. Nevertheless, what is it? I live, right? But there's this... There's this sense where spiritually, if you've been raised in Christ, you died. That part of your life that lived to the flesh, that was under the curse of law and sin, that died. It was crucified with Christ when Jesus died. So now Paul says in verse 3, you want to seek the things above by setting your minds on the things above because you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's this amazing picture here in verse 3 and verse verse 4 of something that we demonstrate and celebrate with baptism. In the coming weeks, if you are part of this church, um, we'll get to celebrate alongside others who are saying, Hey, listen, this is what I want to demonstrate. When someone's baptized in this church, we bring them forward and we often hear a little bit about their testimony of how they came to know Christ and we hear about a declaration, a public declaration of their faith in Jesus and then someone will stand beside them in some pretty cold water often and they will take them and we will say, we're going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. In the, in, the, in the triune essence of who God is, you're being baptized and they will be standing before you and you'll see them. And then for a moment, a brief moment, they're taken under the water, right? Sim- symbolism, symbolic of death. I've stood beside... Too many grave sites and had friends and loved ones, people that were dear, who we've said goodbye to from this earth. And there's a moment, often quite moving and quite final, often, where the coffin is lowered into the, into the grave. 
and it's covered over. And when someone's baptized and they're lowered into the water, they, they drop away from sight. We, we can't see them anymore. They're, they're enveloped by the water. And it's a symbol of saying, I died. My old life is gone. And yet, yet it's also, an, isn't it a great reminder of our Savior? Or oh, he died, right? They thrust a spear into his side. And he was dead. And they took him from the cross and they carried him. And they put him in a hole in the ground. They rolled a stone over it. Uh, they put a seal, a Roman wax seal to say no one breaks the seal upon pain of death. I mean, they, they posted soldiers, centurions, hardened soldiers in front of the tomb. But if you go there today, he's not there. He who was dead, but is now alive. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Why? Because you are raised with Christ. You were dead, you are dead, but you are no longer dead. You are kept hidden with Christ. And when Christ who is your life, Christ who is your life, not your life, who Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's our hope. And whether it's of a loved one who followed Jesus that we placed in the ground or not, that grave has no more power. That earth that covers them won't hold them there. That box that they were laid in, it will not secure them. There will be a coming day. When Christ, who is our hope, appears, we will rise and live with him. He is our life. That's the hope of the gospel. That there is life beyond this and life secure with God. Because our life is hidden in Christ. We are in Him. And as we remind us, we're coming to the table. Our hope or our... The, the condition of our entry is not based on whether or not I deserve that or not. Because I didn't and neither do you. The condition of our secured hope for the future, for all eternity, is wrapped up in who Jesus is, not who I am. So how do I live that out consistently on a day-by-day basis? It's more, isn't it, than just sort of some sort of doctrinal list that you can tick off and say, yeah, I believe all of those things. We sang a song earlier, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ His Son. Yeah, this is the creed. Is it called the creed? Where someone's taken um, basically a reworked apostolic creed and they put some words, some melodies to it, and we sing it. And it's good to sing. It's good to remind ourselves these are the things that we believe. These are the things that we hold on to. But we know, we know that the Christian life is more than just saying I ascribe to a certain list of doctrines. I all of these things. Paul says, great, show me. If you can't hear that in Paul's voice, turn to the book of James. James says it much blunt, more blunt than Paul does, if that's possible. 
He says, you've got faith, great. But faith without works is what? It's dead. You can, you can ascribe to a list of beliefs all you like. And that's all it is. I believe this list of things. James says that sort of faith's dead. Paul says, you believe these things? Great. What does it look like? How does it affect your life? How do we live this out? Well, he tells us. The rest of this passage is really dominated by a series of lists. We're not going to go through them all really closely. But I want you to notice that there's two parts to the rest of this passage. From verses 5 all the way down to verse 17, it's sort of broken. And hopefully you saw it or heard it as Matt read it out. From verse 5 down to verse 11, we get a group of lists and comments that Paul wants to make. And really, they're probably stated overall in the negative. And so I would say that this sort of section, this list, is really about Paul saying, look, put off all the behavior that is inconsistent with your new life in Christ. Here you are, you've been rescued by Jesus, your hope is in him, you're, you're seeking the things that are above by setting your minds on these things that last and not on the things of the earth. Well, now he's going to sort of go, well, what are those things of the earth? What are the things that you don't want to set your mind on? And so there it is. Let's have a, a quick read. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore. Put to death what is earthly in you. Remember, he's just said earlier, don't set your mind on the things of the earth. So now he's saying, and maybe you're asking me, well, Chris, that's fine, but... But how do I do that? I mean, how do I not set my mind on the things of the earth? Well, here, Paul's going to give you a good head start on it. You put them to death. I mean, that's how severe we have to be. We don't cohabit with them. We don't sort of say, I've got this under control. I'll keep it in its box. I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. I watch Gremlins. I know what happens when you put those cute little fluffy things in there and feed them. At midnight, they wake up and try and kill you. I had nightmares about that movie for years. Look, there are things of the earth, they appear cute and fluffy, right? How can those things ever hurt us? They're harmless. right? It's, it's just this or it's just that. It's harmless. It's just a moment. It's just a bit of fun. It's just a way to relax. It's just so that I can. You fill in the rest of the sentence. We all say those things. Paul says, put them to death. Put them to death. He's going to give us a list. Most of them are going to be wrapped up in sort of um, elsewhere in the Bible. He would, he would call these sort of the, the lust of the flesh. These are the things that can sort of um, capture our heart, capture our passions, capture our desires and so we get a list here put to death what is earthly in you sexual immorality impurity passion now he's not saying you can't live passionate lives this is passion that's directed towards the context of all this list evil desires covetousness which is idolatry verse 6 says look on the account of all of these things God's wrath's coming these are the things that God's wrath will fall out on this earth for. He's saying, if, you, if you're raised in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
Don't cohabit with this stuff. Don't entertain this stuff. God's wrath is coming because of this stuff. So put them to death. Eradicate them. Be drastic. It should cause you to remember Jesus when he was walking through this. He says, listen, if your eye causes you to sin, what should you do with it? Put a band-aid over it? That's what we try and do sometimes, right? There's something in our life that let's just band-aid that. Let's just keep one eye closed to it. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Let me be clear before we have gruesome... Because who here hasn't allowed their eyes to cause you to sin? Anyone? How drastic do we take that? Jesus is not saying we should get involved with self-harm. He's not saying... But he's saying, treat this drastically. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. We have to be serious about our sin. Can't entertain it. It's not about us saying, well, that, you know, I, I'm better than that. Verse 7 says, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. We've, we've all been there. We all live there. We still battle with this stuff all the time. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away. So first he says, kill them. Right? That's one way. That's one way that you can battle this sort of consistent lifestyle by setting your minds on things above, not on things below. And, and we do that by firstly, there are things in your life that you just have to chop off and kill, get rid of. He says, now you must also put things away. And now he's going to talk about these sort of harmful things that we do as we relate to one another. So there's anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from our mouths. He says, don't lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices, have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. These are the things that we need to put away. To live a consistent life as a follower of Jesus, we're saying these are things that we don't want to be a part of anything to do with who we are as individuals and who we are as community. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. I mean, this stuff just can roll off our tongues so easily, right? That obscene talk. The jokes that we will snigger at. The little, um, the little videos that get shared through Facebook like wildfire that are just obscene. It's just a bit of fun, isn't it? Lighten up, Chris. Have a laugh. We kill that stuff. We put it away. You know what? You know what? Something that I've been doing when something like that comes onto my Facebook feed or my social media feed or something like that. Just so that you're all clear, if, if something like that gets shared with me, I report it. I don't just ignore it, I report it. I don't want that stuff there. I don't want it for me, I don't want it for you. We kill it and we put it away. And just in case you think, 
Well, Chris, that's fine for you. Are you saying you're better than us? Paul says, verse 11, look, here there's no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no circumcised, there's no uncircumcised, there's no barbarian, there's no Scythian, there's no slave, there's no free... There's no one in this room, there's no cultural group, there's no background group, there's no educational status, there's no financial status that puts anybody above anybody else in this matter. We are all the same. Christ is all and he is in all. We're all on the same boat here. And no, no one of us can sort of say, well, you know what? I'm a sort of above that. And other people might struggle with that. To live a consistent lifestyle is to associate yourself with the sinfulness of mankind and say, we all need the grace of Jesus in this. We're all struggling with this. So there's two lists there, right? He says, put it to death and put it away. It shouldn't have any part of our life. Both of those lists are inconsistent with the hope of the gospel. But there's another list, and I want to finish on that. Verse 12, put on then, put on then. So remember he was just saying put off, put to death and put off, and now he's saying put on. Um, years ago I had a, I used to play football, rugby league. Um, I was a Queenslander, so we won a fair bit. Um, and, and I was in high school I was in um, I was about 16, 17 years old and I was selected to be a part of the Queensland schoolboys um, representative team which was pretty cool and we played New South Wales and we lost and um, we had a travelling schoolboys team from New Zealand come and we played them on a part of their tour of Australia and um, it was a, one of the hardest games of football I've ever been a part of. I mean, I was 16, and I was looking at these guys running the team. And I thought, are they allowed to have 40-year-olds on that team? Like, <laughs> these massive, big Islander guys that were just so frightening. And, um, and we had a great, great game. But afterwards, as a part of you know, the, um, the tour, we had this big barbecue. And these guys that were so frightening as they ran on, we're just some of the best guys, um, so gentle and friendly towards us and warm and loved hanging out with them for that weekend. At the end of that game, we were bruised and battered and it was raining and so we were soaking wet and muddy and blood and yeah, it was just a football thing. But you get to the end of the game and you don't, you don't go to the big sort of fancy barbecue and sort of, you know, where all the dignitaries and stuff are going to be there, dressed in your game clothes. You, you go and shower, and there's something about it, like, I mean, who cares? You can eat, you can eat a burger dressed in your filthy clothes. But we all sort of know that's not really appropriate, so we, we shower. And um, I was 17, so I thought, maybe there'll be some nice girls at this barbecue, I, you know, I'm a footballer, but I'm not going to turn up in my, um, my I'm going to get tidied up a bit, you know, like three times more links deodorant than I probably needed. We understand that 
there are certain things where we need to, we need to put that stuff off and take that off and we need to replace it and, and put other stuff on. And that's the idea that Paul's trying to contrast here. There's stuff about living the Christian life consistent with the gospel that you need to put off. But there's a responsibility in this that you also need to replace that and put something else on. You need to clothe yourselves. This is not about you earning your salvation. This is not about you dressing up to impress God. This is saying, I am a new creation and these are the clothes that I love to wear. You put on then, as God's chosen ones, verse 12 says, holy and beloved, you put on compassionate hearts. You put on kindness. Now, this is not a passive thing that Paul's talking about. He's not saying, okay, just sit back, wait for God to zap you somehow. He's actually asking you to engage with what God's doing in your life and you actively pursue and put this stuff on. Compassionate hearts. We choose to be compassionate to one another. We choose to embrace life, embrace community by thinking, how do I approach this and think the best about this situation rather than the worst? How do I show kindness in this? Humility. Meekness, which is sort of like a a quiet repose. It's, it's, It's a sense of sort of just approaching life with a sense of not, not weakness, although that doesn't go astray in the Christian life when we're weak. It's when God's strength is most evident. But a sort of quietness and gentleness that we approach life with in our relationships. And patience, verse 13 says, bearing with one another. If someone's got a complaint against another, forgiving each other. These are the sorts of clothes that we're dressing ourselves in, Right? Verse 14, above all of these things, put on love, which binds everything together. We can do all of this stuff, Paul says, right? 1 Corinthians 13, you can be a prophet. You could be an astounding healer. Nothing. All these clothes that we can put on consistent with the gospel, Paul says they're all wrapped together by love. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called one body. Be thankful. Be thankful. There was a few years ago a bit of a fad thing that got thrown around on social media. I wish it would come back. You had to list like 10 things that you're thankful for and tag somebody else. And they had to list 10 things that they were thankful for. Man, that's one thing that I would be happy to share around. Let's actually be noticed as people who are quick to list what we're thankful for. Rather than quick to complain about what's wrong in the world. Let's be thankful people. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let's be so saturated with the word of God that it comes out in the way that we speak, the way that we sing, the way that we have cups of tea with each other, the way that we help each other in the car park or meet up up with each other in the shopping center. Let the word of Christ so dwell in you richly that it just comes out in your pores. I heard of a guy who was an author a number of years ago and someone wrote a little Um, blurb about one of his books and they said you cut this guy and he bleeds gospel and I thought I want someone to be able to say that about me I want someone to be able to say that about this church you cut these people they'll bleed gospel they'll sweat gospel 
They understand who, who they are in Christ and they're so grateful and thankful. They put on these clothes. They put on the garment of salvation. That's how they dress themselves. And verse 17, whatever you do, in case you sat there and just thought, Chris, it's time to finish. I've got stuff to do this afternoon. Good. We're going to go and do that. But whatever you do, in word or deed, Paul says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So whether you're shoveling bark this afternoon and composting your garden, whether you're celebrating a child, whether you're going to grieve with someone who's hurting, whether you're going to have a hard conversation with a friend or a child, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, representing who he is in your life in whatever you do. That's what Paul's asking us to do. To put on behavior that is consistent with your new life in Christ. I ask you to remember just one thing. You've sort of maybe drifted out, had a little snooze. Time to finish. You're just starting to wake up now. All right. I said something at the beginning. This is what I want you to remember. If then you've been raised with Christ. If then you know Jesus and you call him Lord. Then seek the things that are above where Christ is. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful. We're grateful for what you've done in our life. You're grateful for the way that you have captured us and rescued us and drawn us to yourself. We thank you that in Christ we know hope. In Christ we know acceptance and forgiveness. Lord, we've been raised with you. You've given us a new life. So, Lord, will you help us now? Help us to be drastic. Help us to be brave. Help us to be courageous. To put to death what we need to. To put away what we have to. To embrace what it means to live a consistent life with the gospel. We need your help for this, Lord. Strengthen us for the task, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.